This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Allbirds, the world's most comfortable shoes, which are made from premium natural ingredients. It's also a company that I blame for an experiment in audio production gone terribly wrong. I'm gonna see you guys in the car, okay? You see, I was trying to capture that all-important moment in my morning when I go from harried and stressed out to feeling balanced and kind of excited about my day. For me, this happens shortly after I come down my stairs to get my three energetic young sons out the door and on the way to school. There's a brief period of chaos. And then I pull on my Allbirds high tops. And it's like taking that first sip of coffee when you go, ah. This is because they are insanely comfortable and also because Allbirds is a brand that cares about more than their bottom line. They're a certified B Corp which means the environment is a stakeholder in their business. Their shoes are made from ethically and sustainably sourced materials like merino wool and sugarcane. The foam in the soles is actually carbon negative. They feel and look great on my feet, and I feel great about wearing them. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to capture this moment of happiness and inspiration on tape because my recording equipment freaked my kids out. Why are you going to taser us? It's not a taser. So you're just going to have to trust me. Or better yet, try Allbirds for yourself. You'll see. Allbirds. Made from less of the bad stuff and more of the good stuff. That's naturally better. Find your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. Recent years have seen all kinds of major advances in outdoor sports equipment. Some of them have really transformed how we go about the activities we love. Think about the barefoot running revolution, which was quickly followed by the counter-revolution of maximalist running shoes, or rocker downhill skis, or fat bikes, or electric bikes, crazy lightweight camping gear. The list goes on. And then there's the gear advancement that trumps them all. A leap forward in research, technology, and manufacturing that will have an enormous impact on sports participation and enjoyment. My name is Ariel Gensler. I'm an associate editor at Outside. I specialize in gear, and I run our buyer's guide. This week, Ariella published a feature on Outside Online that details the current sports bra revolution. It's been more than 40 years since the first sports bra was invented, helping empower girls and women to get involved in athletics in the wake of the landmark congressional passage of Title IX. As Ariella reports, while there's been a lot of progress since then, designers and consumers have been operating under the belief that for a bra to really perform, it had to be rigid, tight, and likely uncomfortable. Women, a lot of times, they feel like they need to be uncomfortable in order for their sports bra to work. And if you're wearing a sports bra that is, you know, chafing and digging in and making you overheat, you know, it's rubbing you, you don't feel good in it, it's not going to make you feel good about yourself. And that can have a huge impact on a person's, you know, motivation to pursue a sport or to quit a sport. But in the last few years, this thinking has shifted, and rather dramatically. In her story, Ariella points to 2017 as the turning point. That's when Lululemon launched the Enlight Bra, becoming one of the first major athletic brands to break the comfort-for-support paradigm. 
Then Nike released a model using knitting technology the brand borrowed from its running shoes. And then after that, you had Reebok, which came out with a Pure Move bra, which uses, it was a, it's called sheer thickening fluid, which is a chemical application developed originally for NASA that is essentially pliant at rest and then stiffens under impact. So what this Most recently, Brooks Running released its Dareline sports bras in February. Ariella traveled to the brand's Seattle headquarters to get an inside look at how and why companies are transforming the way they approach the creation of a product that more than half of the population depends on for sports. Obviously there are technological advances, just manufacturing capabilities that brands and factories didn't have access to 10 years ago that have really made a huge difference in what companies are able to do as far as designing sports bras. Um, but then also, you know, what we know research science-wise about breasts has changed and evolved quite a bit over the last few decades. And so that is also really informing what brands are doing. And then finally, that um, there's increased consumer demand. You know, people or women are wearing sports bras for more than just sports. So that demand is really driving companies to invest in this science and the technology and the new manufacturing capabilities that they now have access to. The upshot, she says, is that girls and women can now find high-performance sports bras that are comfortable and even cute. This is a big deal when you consider that social research shows large numbers of girls still drop out of sports because of concerns about their breasts. And knowing that brands are now prioritizing comfort that to me is a game changer, right? It's like you don't have to punish yourself with this uncomfortable contraption on your body, right? Like you deserve to be comfortable while exercising. And I think a lot of women, myself included, get into this mode of denial where you're just sort of, I've had bad experiences, I'm done trying, right? I found this one sports bra that like kind of works. I don't really like it, but I'm, I just don't want to try anymore. It's exhausting and painful and makes me feel bad about myself. And there's just nothing out there for me, so I'm just gonna like accept my, my lot in life. Um, and, you know, the biggest takeaway for me was brands are trying. Things are getting better. You know, we still have a long way to go, but brands like Target are making really decent sports bras that are using a lot of modern technology. Um, so I would just say, like, try, you know, go, even if you've been burned once or burned twice, go out and try again, because I would say there's a pretty good chance that you'll find something that you like. To really understand how important this shift is, you need to know the rather remarkable birth story of the sports bra. As it happens, we told that story a few years ago on this show, just around the time the revolution that Ariella wrote about was getting underway. Outside contributing editor Florence Williams, who literally wrote the book on breasts, chased down the inventors of the very first sports bra. I'll let her take it from here. So I'm on this jog with my dear friend and sister-in-law, Lisa Jones. <laughs> Lisa, we're jogging along, and uh, we're just not wearing fancy bras. We're just wearing our normal bras, and it's kind of a problem. What, what kind of bra are you wearing? Uh, well, Florence, look at the strap. Isn't it pretty? I'm wearing a Mary Jo underwire padded cleavage enhancing piece of engineering. <laughs> Only it's not really engineering enough to keep your boobs in place. What are they doing? Well, let's see. Okay, I'm checking in. They're bouncing a little bit um, up and down and laterally. <laughs> Here's the deal. Boobs move around. They move around a lot. If you happen not to be the owner of a pair, 
Picture this, running down a field with two water balloons loosely attached to your torso. They're going to go up and down, and they're going to go sideways. And until 1977, which was exactly 40 years ago this month, there wasn't a whole lot you could do about it. The sports bra hadn't been invented yet. So you were stuck jiggling around in thin nylon and maybe underwire. And as my experiment with Lisa shows, that's a drag. <laughs> does, does this make you really appreciate the era of the sports bra? <laughs> I'm so happy about science <laughs> and engineering right now and design. Our boobs thank science. They do. <laughs> Why would we want to talk about the history of the sports bra? I mean, is it just like a trivial tidbit of historic costume? This is Lejean Lawson, a.k.a. Chief Boobologist, a.k.a. Dr. Sports Bra. She's one of the world's top sports bra researchers. Not just because I've spent 33 years studying it do I say this. I know from conversations with literally thousands of women that this is a game changer for them. Lejean lives and breathes not only sports bras, but the needs of the women who wear them. She actually runs a sports bra lab out of her house in Portland, Oregon. She's got a treadmill in there and a 3D imaging machine that she uses to study the biomechanics of the breast. We sent our producer, Phoebe Flanagan, over to check it out. Okay, this is starting up. What I'm going to have you do when you get on, I'm going to have you just stand for a few seconds, and then when I tell you to run, just start jogging. The breast will rise up and then it has to go down again. It changes direction constantly. The accelerations, which is either speeding up or slowing down where the, the nipple is changing direction, can be very high. Um, I did a little research and I said, you know, a 36D nipple can go from zero to 60 faster than a Ferrari. <laughs> really? Much faster. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Okay. So jump on the side first. Yeah. Beyond the lab, Lejean's also got a sports bra museum. Okay, here. It's filled with decades worth of vintage models. And some are more mystifying than others. There are so many straps. This could not be any weirder. This was called the Damon Jogger, which I call the Demon Jogger. And there were instructions on how to get this on, which... I don't know if I can do this. You put your legs through it? Yeah, you put your legs through it, and you pull it up. Looking at all the options around the room, it's crazy to think that the modern sports bra didn't even exist when Lejean was growing up. Actually, when I started high school, we weren't allowed to run full court because it was the assumption that girls were too weak. And we couldn't run any races longer than, like, 400 meters. Uh, So... Women participating in sports and having, needing a sports bra is so recent. Recent and surprisingly controversial. When LeJean started doing her research back in the 80s, she actually got some serious pushback, like this one letter that turned up at her office. This letter said, if God had intended women to run, he would not have put breasts on them. <laughs> so it's sort of like, there, there, were, there was a whole sociocultural stereotype of how women should behave and it wasn't vigorously and badly you know it was it was to be more 
calm and sweet and have uh, comport yourself with more steadiness and not the sort of enthusiasm and passion that we see with sport. To understand how the sports bra changed all that, we need to go back to 1977. It was the same year that James Fix published his blockbuster bestseller, The Complete Book of Running, and it was just a few years out from Title IX. Women were finally wanting in on the sports action after being told for generations and generations that their bodies just weren't built for sports. I started walking, then gradually as I got in shape, I began to run. Now I run three days a week. My family and friends say how healthy I look. You know, my whole generation started exercising. This is Lisa Lindahl. She got caught up in the craze. And I had a friend who introduced me to what was then called jogging. And <laughs> Was it a new term? I, it was, <laughs> I have to say. I went out and started jogging up at the University of Vermont indoor track. And just to get around that track once was painful. And I remember the day that I got around that track four times and completed a mile, and you would think I had won an Olympic medal. (laughs) I was so proud of myself. Lisa broke a mile, then two, and then three. She started running outside. But the more she ran, the more she realized she had a new problem. Actually, two problems. Her 36 Cs. When you have a T-shirt over bouncing nipples, you get chafing. So the answer to that is to put a bra on. Because I did try running without any bra on, and then, of course, I got a lot of comments from passing motorists and certain (laughs) male runners. Things haven't changed much over the years. (laughs) Unfortunately not. (laughs) Um, So you wear a bra of some sort, And then that poses new and different problems, like the straps that slip off your shoulders so you're always jigging them back up, hardware that can dig into your back, and they're hot and sweaty. Lisa's sister started running too, and one day she called her up. And she said, what do you do about your boobs, actually, (laughs) is what she said. I am so uncomfortable when I'm running. What she said when I was talking about the fact that I had no great solution was, why isn't there a jock strap for women? That's when we really laughed. We thought that was hilarious. Lisa couldn't let the idea drop. She started working the problem. What would that bra have to look like? What would it have to do? And I sat down at my dining room table and wrote out a list that was, all right, the straps shouldn't fall off. They should be wide enough that they don't dig in. Ideally, I was hoping that it could be modest enough that I could take off my T-shirt on really hot summer days because I um, had a running partner who would do that. He would take off in the middle of a run his T-shirt over his head and tuck it in the back of his shorts, and I was so jealous because I couldn't do that. But I, I didn't hold out a lot of hope for that in the beginning. And then somehow your husband became involved. Your husband at the time yeah, also had, had a role here. He, he did, because what happened is, I mean, part of the irony of this story, Florence, is that I don't sew. 
but living with me at the time was was my good friend Polly, who had become a costume designer, and so boy did she sew. And I went to her and said, Polly, help me make this. And so we started making prototypes and um, having difficulty because really bras are an engineering proposition. Yeah, things need to be cantilevered. (laughs) Yes, it's like building a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But we didn't know that at the time. So we were sitting in the living room, Polly and I, bemoaning the latest prototype that I had gone running in and was not cutting it. And my then husband came down the stairs and he had pulled one of his jock straps on over his head and across his breast and said, hey ladies, ha ha ha, here's your new jock bra. Mm. And we just thought that was very, very funny and rolled on the floor. And um, uh, I got up and, and uh, took it off of him. And, tried it on. Cause, <laughs> tried it on because I had to get in the act, you know, and put it, pulled it over my chest that actually had breasts and went, oh. I went running the next day in this jockstrap contraption and knew that it was, this was the, product that was going to work. And Polly went to New York City and found good elastic, found a new fabric that would work for the cups, and voila, we had a working prototype. How did you come up with the name jog bra? Well, there was no such term as sports bra at the time, and so we were calling it jock bra. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And um, we heard from some people in the South that jock was not such a nice word. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want a name that offended some people. So we changed jock to jog, and it became jog bra. So Lisa started shopping her new jog bra around to different sporting goods stores. Most of the buyers looked at her like she was crazy. After all, why would a running store sell women's underwear? I was very clear from the beginning that this was not going to go into lingerie. It didn't look like lingerie. It was considered ugly. And so it needed to go into sporting goods so that when a woman went in to buy her shoes, she could also get this bra. And so I had to contend with men who were the buyers. Right, because women's undergarments had never been sold outside of the context of lingerie. Correct. To put it in lingerie would be to be minimizing its importance, minimizing its functionality. It so was not about lifting and separating and making a woman more attractive, according to some fashionista's standards. It, it wasn't about the bullet bra look. <laughs> no. It w- and it was about functionality. I mean, it smushed the the breasts against the chest wall. It certainly well. There was, was a not... little bit of a uniboob issue, right? Yes, absolutely. There was a uniboob issue, and of course now, you can have a very sexy sports bra now. Right, but back then it was really about function. A hundred percent. And it took off. And it was immediately successful. Our average growth rate was like 25% per year, and we just kept growing and growing and growing. We'll be right back. Do you want to know the secret to total health and happiness? Like the real 
real secret. You're actually listening to it right now. It's movement. Not hardcore exercise, not a diet plan, just movement. And lots of it. As in at least two hours a day, even if you get up early to run or go to the gym before work. We've reported on this a lot at Outside lately. There's really nothing better you can do for your physical and mental health. Of course, two hours a day, that's a lot of movement, right? The only way I'm able to pull it off is walking. And the way I got myself walking more was a sweet pair of shoes. I found my two hours a day stride in a pair of Allbirds, which you might have heard is the world's most comfortable shoe. And that's true. Putting them on, it's like giving your feet a big hug. But what you might not know is that all of Allbirds shoes are made from premium natural materials. The uppers of the high tops I'm wearing right now are made with ZQ certified merino wool and Forest Service Council certified eucalyptus fibers. The awesomely cushioned soles are made with a substance Allbirds created called sweet foam. It's derived from sugar cane. All of which is to say, these shoes are doing right by my feet and also doing right by the earth. So when I take my now regular lunch walks, or make phone calls while lapping the office courtyard, or choose strange and circuitous routes to the printer, I feel better in all kinds of ways. Allbirds. Shoes made from natural materials. That means less of the bad stuff, and more of the good stuff. That's naturally better. Find your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. By the mid to late 80s, everywhere she looked, Lisa was seeing runners and others wearing sports bras. But it wasn't until the 1999 Women's World Cup that she realized just how far her vision had traveled. Go! Remember, that's when the U.S. soccer team had just beat China with a winning goal by Brandy Chastain. What a day this was, and it continues from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. The United States has won the Women's World Cup. I was home in Vermont, and all of a sudden my phone started ringing. I ran to the TV set, and of course they were replaying the moment, and I went, oh my word. And that and moment, let, let me just describe it. It's, she made the final winning goal. She and did. And as soon as that goal hit the net, she ripped off her shirt, and she was wearing a black jog bra. And she pumped her fists, and she showed her muscles, and she was swarmed by her ecstatic teammates. Uh, and, and it was really the uh, jog bra that was seen around the world. Right. <laughs> the, jo- the jog bra that was heard around the world. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, think, I think what she said was it was her confidence and her preparation and the long journey that came to fruition in that moment. And that, that is just perfect because that's exactly, you know, what I could say about my journey uh, in, in my life, really, but also the, the uh, jog bra. Well, in a way, that moment also really represented the culmination of your dream, that one day women could run around with their shirts off. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, women do. I see it all the time, and I chuckle to myself. You'd see women running down the the running path or the greenway here, and, and they're in their running shorts and their sports bra, and that's it. 
So the jog bras revolutionized women's participation in sports, but they were still geared toward women with small to medium-sized chests. What about the subset of women who are the most discriminated against of all in sports, the women with really big bazungas and often plus-sized bodies? Back at the Champion Bra Lab, Lejean Lawson says that coming up with products for large-breasted women was the obvious next step, but it also required some next-level engineering. When you're running, there are ground reaction forces coming up through your body that are two to three times your body weight, and those impacts are transmitted to your breast tissue. Our skeletons are pretty bony. They react in a certain way. The breast is sort of viscoelastic and can respond even more to the impacts, stretch and distort out of shape. The larger the breast, the more mass of the breast, the more impact can affect it and create very large displacements. But um, yeah, mass is a big factor. That was certainly proving to be true for Rennell Broughton. Oh, I would try doubling up on sports bras. She was a hairdresser in Montana, and she'd been playing volleyball and running track with triple Ds. When you start getting up in the C, D, double D, triple D area, you got you got to have a lot more uh, going on there to contain those. Give us a sense of how big triple D breasts are. Like, do you know what they weigh, for example? Oh, uh, not really, but a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I were looking at a triple D breast, you know, in front of me, what would it look like? So apparently you don't have triple Ds. Is that what you're thinking? I so do not. No, I'm a B. <laughs> You don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> i tell you what, they can be very annoying because every time you want to do anything, move or, you know, I remember when I was playing volleyball, you know, the ball would roll out of the court and I'd just stand there and let somebody else go after it because I wasn't running after that thing. Rennell was fed up and eventually it occurred to her to just try to hack the jog bra and make it a much sturdier feat of engineering. That was in 1985. And I tell you, the first bra that I made for myself was not pretty. We just used, we just used my mother's leftover fabric from different things. And but I really didn't care. I didn't. That's that's the thing with me is I don't. I don't really care what it looks like. I just want it to work. And and what were the big innovations in in your bra? What made it different from the jog bra? Um, it was more. There's more fabric. Uh, there's less stretch in the fabric because if you, what, what I always say, if you can, if you can take a sports bra and stretch it out, uh, enough to pull it over your head, it's only going to stretch when it gets there. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we had to do something that had a closure in it. And I wanted the closure in the front to make it easier to get on and off. So it looks like a vest, basically. So you were able to kind of distribute the weight a little bit through this design. Exactly. Well, Rennell, why do you think large-breasted women had been so ignored until this point? I, You know, I think it's probably a couple different things. Um, there probably wasn't as many of us out there. I think there's getting to be more of us. So, so you, you think that breasts are actually getting bigger now? Yeah, I think they are. I think people are getting bigger. Breasts are getting bigger. Feet are getting bigger. I mean, if you look at an antique pair of shoes from way back when, they're tiny. (laughs) I mean, really tiny. So, yeah, I think people are getting bigger. Yeah. Well, I've certainly heard that anecdotally 
I know it's uh, kind of it's it's not something that's really easy to quantify. I think it's not really like measured in your no. annual doctor's visit. No, and hmm. also um, I think when girls start to develop, if they develop like starting in junior high, early high school, um, and they're playing sports, and all of a sudden they've got these boobs that are causing problems, a lot of them will quit. What do you think's behind that? Um, I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a big boob blonde. <laughs> Rennell may not be a scientist, but we did find a woman who actually studies this stuff. Hi, Michelle. Hiya. Can you can you first can you say your name and briefly what you do? I can. Um, my name is Michelle Norris, and I'm a senior research associate in um, the Department of Sport and Exercise Science here in the University of Portsmouth. We called up Michelle because we wanted to see if Ronell's instincts were right that in spite of all the innovation in sports bra technology, boobs could still be causing girls to drop out of sports. Because something certainly is. Yeah, this is a kind of a really big issue, I guess, worldwide, just the general participation levels in sport. And uh, we looked at it in schoolgirls in the United Kingdom. And as it is, about 12% of uh, 14-year-old girls are achieving kind of exercise guidelines. And we know that as a nation we're getting more obese and it's having mass, massive health implications, so we need to try and combat that. And we actually found that breasts are one of the barriers of why these girls might be dropping out or not reaching exercise guidelines. Wow. So what did you find in your research? Yeah, so we find um, that kind of in related to breasts, the biggest reasons for lack of participation in exercise, I guess, is this breast bounce. So... Um, this kind of excessive movement in breasts that girls are very self-conscious of it. Um, after this, again, it was changing in front of each other. So in school, they weren't comfortable in case their breasts might be exposed to their friends. Um, wow. This was, again, more prevalent in larger-breasted girls. This is interesting to me. I mean, it's it's not necessarily that it was it's sort of a physics problem as much as it is almost a psychological problem. Yeah, definitely. Um in terms of the physics, I mean, having a good sports bra, we know, will reduce um, the amount of that breast moves during high or low or any kind of activity. So we can easily alter the physics of breast moving, but it's the psychological effect that they probably need education on that can kind of have a bigger impact, maybe. Um, as well as this, we found that nearly 50% reported that they never wear a sports bra during sports. And for us, this is kind of one of the main educational aspects that we can kind of come in with. Well, if you get a good sports bra, you can reduce this bounce um, during sport and we might be able to keep uh, schoolgirls engaged in sport then. Do you think there's an economic piece to this as well? Possibly, but I think that we see a lot of good sports bras now that are not necessarily very expensive. So I think that it's becoming more accessible for people to have sports bras in general and well-performing sports bras. Huh. And this is really sort of an undersung area in looking at access to health. You know, we need to get these girls in the right equipment. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think it's overlooked. Um, We also found that they actually had massive concerns about their breasts. So 73% reported um, having one breast-specific concern in sports um, and that they were looking for education, that they'd be happy to take in breast education, um, but it just wasn't there in the schools for them. I think it's it's still a taboo subject talking about breasts and we really want to make it out there that this is not a, a taboo. This is something we should all talk about freely um, and that we can kind of educate them further on. 
It's been 40 years now since the first jock bra hit the market. Annual retail sales of the sports bra are in the billions worldwide and growing. And it's all continuing to track with the phenomenal growth of women's athletics overall. The next 40 years will likely offer better materials, smart bras that keep track of your vitals, ever cuter, sturdier, and flashier designs, and hopefully more education to make these genius contraptions of structural engineering more accessible to the girls who could use them. Because girls need to run and play and move, even if they don't want their breasts to move quite so much. So here's to the basement sewing session, the high-tech boob labs, the dedicated enthusiasts who made it all possible. From all of us, happy 40th anniversary. That's outside contributing editor Florence Williams. She's the author of Breasts, a natural and unnatural history. Her story was produced by Phoebe Flanagan, with music by Robbie Carver and Dennis Funk. This episode is brought to you by Allbirds, shoes made from natural materials. That means less of the bad stuff and more of the good stuff. That's naturally better. Find your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Integrated Media and distributed by PRX. We'll be back next week.